Sure. I'll talk it out. Yeah. Let's just have a conversation. Track three. <clears throat> Better not be fucking Dave Matthews band. Okay. Those of you who don't want to be a part of this can leave now. Derek, please listen to me. But if you choose to stay, which it seems like you guys are choosing. Derek, please. You understand and agree to the following terms and conditions. Derek! One. Derek, this is the virus. You talking. hereby waive your right Derek, please. to your own personal bodily integrity. This is not you. Two. Per the state versus Neville Reed. My colleague and I will not be held criminally liable for any felony or misdemeanor that you may be a victim of, including, but not limited to, aggravated assault, aggravated battery, disorderly conduct, destruction of property, mayhem, and first-degree murder. And three, terms and conditions may change or be updated whenever the fuck I want! Consider yourselves notified. All right, you primitive screwheads, listen up. I got news for you, pal. You ain't leading but two things right now. Jack and shit. Jack left town. Well, hello, Mr. Fancy Pants. Rocket. What rocket? I was just in my office and I heard a rocket. Describe the rocket, sir. Does this mean we're not What up, everyone? DJ Anubis. And DJ Neko. With you on the Metal Tavern Radio Podcast, The Hordes of Chaos, episode 171. How the fuck are you? I'm good. It's been, you know, a crazy week because we had so much stuff going on last weekend with little mini family vacation for a wedding and then... I went back to work in the depot this uh, Monday, so I'm kind of like trying to scale back into like getting up at a normal time because this entire three weeks I've been home, which has been really nice. I've been able to hang out with friends and family and, you know, I just didn't have a real schedule. I did what I needed to when I wanted to, you know, um, 
but now I have to kind of like get back on a regular schedule, especially because I'll probably be home for a few few months. Hopefully, I um, I'm gonna talk to my boss about that because I really would like to stay home the whole summer, um, and then go out in September for a couple of months and hopefully, you know. Yeah, uh, you know, last weekend was fun. A little bit crazy at times just because even though we weren't involved in the wedding we were just invited to everything we so, had breakfast we had pre-dinner <laughs> we brought our kid uh, oh that's right so how long we've had miss kitty i think about 12 or 13 years um she belonged to a friend of ours and she's a really good cat she's pretty easygoing but she's 19 and our pet sitter was not able to watch her. And I'm like, oh, well, the hotel has, you know, pet friendly rooms and we got a pet friendly room. So I asked them, you know, hey, can, can we bring our, our cat? And they said, that's fine. She was so good the entire weekend. And then when we rode home, it was my dream. She sat on my lap for an entire hour because she never like, she's not a lap cat, but. No, she was enjoying it though. I think she was more happy being out of her carrier and sitting on my lap than she would be like being in the carrier sticking her little head out but it was it was nice because as with weddings there's always a bunch of drama leading up to it but when we got there it just seemed like everybody was happy everybody just kind of chilled out and enjoyed well, you kinda the ride. Have to, you kind of have to do that when you have people that like relatives that are involved in the wedding and so you have to kind of just let everything else fall to the waste and it's because it's their day mm -hmm. so you don't need to be there like making a scene or any of that which even for you and i we're not really directly involved yeah, we're not scene makers. we just know of the drama that was leading up to it so but it was good to see both the kiddos happy uh doing their thing and it was it was so nice like i you know, I, I don't know much about their relationship because clearly it's personal. But when you see the way that they were both just so happy and looking at each other with love, I'm like, man, they really do seem happy, you know, and that's what you want at a wedding. Clearly, you want it to be the happiest day of your life, um, especially the bride. She was just uh, like beaming, smiling and um, and the groom was so emotional and we did not expect to see that from him. Right. Um, but she was just smiling and I, I kind of said to you, um, cause you were commenting on the groom being really emotional and she wasn't, I was like, she's acting like me, you know, on my wedding day, I was just so happy to be married. Like I was just, there's a thousand pictures leading up to me actually walking down the aisle with you big smile big smile i'm all dressed up i look so great and i'm smiling and then there's a picture of me walking down the aisle just big smile big and that's exactly what she had she was just beaming with happiness um so we have been just trying to get our footing again and hopefully you know we're gonna get back to what we call normal for a few months and then i'll be getting the fuck out of here and it'll be like the dj anubis show <laughs> But that'll be fine, you know. You're you're getting we're getting our our groove. Like I've been kind of checking our our downloads and um, yeah, we've already put out three with you being bad. That's mm -hmm. crazy. Like you didn't. It just seems like yesterday you got back home. So I mean, it's like, yeah, it's been three and a half weeks. So it hasn't been a super long time, but it'll it's almost a month. Actually, it is. 
It is a month because I came back on the 17th of May and now it's June 17th, so. Yeah. But in that news, uh, Ozzy Osbourne uh, went to have surgery and Neko's going to give us the rundown. Oh, God, of yeah. So I saw this picture on um, Instagram of Ozzy and he did not look good. Now he is 73, so he's getting up there. He was just walking with a cane and there was a title just saying Ozzy Osbourne to undergo major surgery this past Monday, which it has happened. He's already gotten the surgery. Apparently, I think it was back in 2003, he was in that four-wheeler accident and he was pretty fucked up from that accident. Well, now, almost 20 years later, it's still giving him trouble. Apparently, he had surgery on his spine and it was realigning the pins in his neck and his back that they had put in there. And basically he was just saying, you know, I healed from the accident, but I'm still in a lot of pain every single day. And you know, he's been touring for the last 20 years. He wants to get back to touring again. He said, yeah, I don't know if that's going to happen though. Like I know he talked about doing more studio stuff, but like really, the dude's really up there. Like, I get it. I mean, these rockers. I mean, Lemmy was touring to almost the day he died. Like, he literally died a couple of days after one particular concert. So it's like, like, even he knew his time was almost up. I think he might be doing some limited things. Because well, in and that's fine. to all of that, he has Parkinson's disease right. now. And it, he, I didn't realize this, he had a, a fall. He, in 2019, which kind of worsened his ailment. Right. And after that, he had to have 15 screws put into his back after that fall. So now this surgery, he's calling it, um, it will determine the rest of his life. So hopefully this recovery will, you know, put him back in the right place. Maybe he can do some intermittent, you know, concerts, smaller, you know, maybe not an Ozfest tour, but something along the lines of here's a special concert. Ozzy is only doing, you know, 10 days. And well, technically, the festivals aren't so bad because they are spread out. So, you know, if that's something he wants to do. He might not be able to do as many festival dates, but uh, certainly if, you know, he wants to do a handful he probably could get away with doing that because it's and not as strenuous i know he usually goes on at mm -hmm. night so and he basically like he is able to walk but he's not he's doing it very slowly very carefully so we give all of our love to ozzy because i mean we've seen him quite a few times in our life he's he's a great guy i mean to see i don't know him personally clearly but we do enjoy all of ozzy's shenanigans and what were we watching where he snorted the fire ants and like he, oh that was a long time yeah ago. so everything <laughs> you just think of ozzy and you do think of he's the prince of fucking darkness he's he is you kind of put that face with metal and he's you know up there in the hierarchy and it's sad you know we're, we were just talking about getting older before we got on the air like you get older and hopefully he just he recovers and he's not in pain anymore and he can continue being this huge musician that he's been his you know entire life yeah uh aside from all that we do have uh some movie reviews to give you all 
we have been watching movies. Has that is that all we've been doing? Because we're going to see uh, Jurassic World Dominion tomorrow, too. So. Yeah, which we'll probably do a, a YouTube video for. That'll be fun. Plus, we still have to do some other stuff on YouTube we haven't got around to yet. Yeah, but. we had a bit of a day yesterday. Yeah, yesterday was planned, and then things went haywire with my car, so I had to get that shit handled, and that screwed up a lot, so it's just kind of have to put shit on the back burner until we can get around to doing it. Good news, though. Car is okay. Life is okay. Um... But we are definitely going to update our YouTube channel. We're trying to do, like, every Thursday a YouTube video. And all of our podcasts are released on Podbean and all of the other services. Uh, yeah, it really, you can Spotify, find... Um, well, you can go to meltarain.com. Mm -hmm. That's where it all is. You can get the Podbean or whatever works for you. Obviously, if you're on your phone, Podbean's the place to go, but... I mean, I even think Podcast Addict. If you have the RSS feed, you can use it in any um, podcasting app that you want. But, but we're also on Player FM now, as well as iHeartRadio. You can find us, our podcast, on there as well. And if you go to MetalTavernRadio.com and you scroll down, um, there's like a little place where it says Stay Connected. And then if you click on an episode... I'm going to do that right now so I can tell you exactly where it is. Come on. You click on the episode to to watch, and then it, it it has, like, the little buttons underneath of it. It'll say, hey, you're you're available on this, 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 and this. Um, Podbean, if you go to um, uh, DJ Anubis... Where is it? Ah! Oh, who knows? The, the real noobs.podbean.com. That's like our second. It's not our website, but Podbean is where we have been host, like housing all of our stuff. It'll show you there too. Like there's all episodes. It'll show Metal Tavern Radio, and you can see it's available on the Podbean app, Spotify, Amazon Music, iHeartRadio, Player FM, the Samsung Podcast app, and Podchaser. So that. We're really trying to make it easy to listen to our podcast. And, you know, the best part about our podcast is DJ Anubis curates these playlists through um, mostly a lot of our uh, promotion sites. So you're hearing new music from independent labels, which is really awesome. I mean, we do throw in some more well-known things here and there, but these are independent metal labels that... You know, we want to give lots of love to. We want we want people to hear these songs. I know when I was still working out on the ship, I would um, pop in my my earbuds and listen to the the uh, episodes, and I would kind of like make mental notes, or I'd take my phone and put a little note to tell DJ Anubis, and then I'd write him on Facebook. Oh yeah, I really like the song that was at. Uh, <laughs> 11 minutes and 33 seconds at this and he's like I have to figure out what that was so it's been really fun to listen to all these new er or new songs from these independent labels and we are very happy and very proud of all the hard work that these these artists have done especially our buddies at Nomos we talked about it a couple of weeks ago them playing at Maryland Death Fest but they've really kind of I don't know what the right word is, hit a groove. You know, they're really touring all over the place. They're making a new record. They've released some new things. Um, and that's all attributed to their hard work. Um, I mean, 
they told us they were just selling out of their merchandise at Maryland Death Fest, and that is what really helps a band, you know, buying their merchandise. That is goes right into their pocket. Uh, so keep supporting these independent yep, support bands. the underground. Mm-hmm. We got a lot of great new music coming your way, as well as the rock block with Neko's Pick of the Week. Oh yeah. Kicking off our first block of music, we got some stuff by Zenocorp as well as Grand Sounds Promotions, but here's some brand new creator, Demonic Future. Oh yeah.
Torrify from Victoria, BC. You're listening to Metal Tavern Radio. Stay thrashing. Hey now, DJ Nuris back with you as well as DJ Neko. I'm DJ Neko. You're DJ Neko. Not, that cat is not DJ that's, Neko. That's Miss Kitty. She's DJ Miss Kitty. So we, uh, I remembered probably about a month or two ago, someone okay. had said, yeah, I'm waiting for this movie called Mad God to come out because uh, it's really good and it's done by Phil Tippett who did a lot of uh, animation stuff. He's yeah, apparently he had he's been like head of lots of different things for Star Wars, Jurassic Park. He's been like a, a consultant for all these other animation and uh not just with claymation, which a lot of this movie was, but he's very well known um and apparently like working on this kind of actually put him insane. He he yeah. had to check himself away for a while. Right, and uh one of the early comparisons people are making, like, have you ever followed the band Tool and some of their uh, videos for, like, Sober and stuff where they use claymation in those? So, Mad God sort of has that feeling. It's, it's an actually an hour and 30, 40 minutes, like a regular movie time, of nothing but really just animation. There are some sounds here and there, but there's, there's no real no dialogue. Dialogue, yeah. But uh, we actually had to go and kind of, after about what? 30 or 40 minutes we had to kind of go look and I was like what is going on just like, to try to understand like what is actually unfolding in front of us it's really wacky and crazy and it's good for if you're on drugs that's one thing we were laughing about because if you're on psychedelics it'd be pretty sweet uh, he has pretty good use of colors in there and stuff but uh, it's, lots of gore oh yeah I mean, yeah very horror horror uh, related so it's on Shutter right now so if you are a subscriber to that uh, app and company it's a new thing they just put up there, so it's Mad God. Uh, so go ahead and give us a breakdown of what the plot is. Like, It's kind of interesting because we kind of go through one part of the plot and then it just kind of repeats itself, and then all of a sudden we kind of get lost in something else towards the end. So Yeah, I'm not even... I, I really feel like I'm not even 100% sure what the fuck I watched. So apparently you see a guy in a jacket and a gas mask at the beginning. He's only known as the assassin. He has a suitcase with a bomb and he has to deliver this bomb. So as he descends into this hellish lake... Uh, we should say the, the atmosphere is almost like World War II-ish. Yeah, it's very um, an anarchy, very like... Desolate. So. Uh, Mad Max kind yeah. of feeling. Dystopian. Yeah, you're thinking about like after some big problem, big war, big issue happen. So you see this, the assassin is descending into this hell. And he's just going through these ruins, carrying his his briefcase. You see all these like mutants. Um, they're not people looking. They look like worms or like fuzzy mummies or yeah. You have like I, the best way I can explain it's kind of like peons or slaves, but they don't have faces, so they're almost like when you get up close, when you get up close, look at them, they kind of look like uh, fur balls, only they're in human form. Um, but they act as slaves and peons that 
or in this kind of like machine or at least robotic sense of way that they live. And then on top of that, we have these other creatures. Some are like uh, slave masters who are using whips, but then they have like we couldn't figure out if it was like tits or balls in the behind them. And yeah, it was really weird. It yeah. was like balls with nipples. So. Right. So, and then like you have also the mad butcher towards the beginning, the monster creature that's out there chopping up this worm dude. It was just. <laughs> you're going through hell, basically. Right. You are going through um, a hellacious, like... Landscape. Landscape. So, he's walking through this, and he keeps, you know, going through the ruins. They call it Mutant Lands. Um, He is kind of staying behind the scenes and watching all these torture, and um, finally he sees a city. And that's the home to the army of the nameless faceless drones and that's what dj anubis was saying they're like these they look like people but they're fuzzy bodies and then they just get like they easily just get smashed or kicked down yeah it's so random because like they're going through almost like conveyor belts and stuff and they'll get squashed or kicked off or and like in one case it's pretty interesting because we look at our sass and he's trying to sneak down another level of this hell that they're in and one of these little drone uh, slaves walks up and almost is like pleading with him to take him with him. And then one of the slave masters comes and he, the assassin goes back down underneath and the slave master kills the, the, the slave and just, it's weird. But uh, one thing that Neko pointed out when we were watching it was the how great the stop motion was. and Very smooth. Like. It's, it reminds me a lot of the Harryhausen era when they have like Clash of the Titans or uh, the Beast from 20,000 Fathoms. So stuff that Harryhausen worked in back in the 40s on up to early 80s. Uh, it has that kind of vibe, like the stop motion. And we have to understand when you watch this that this guy, Tippett, has been working on this for like 30 years. So this is like 30 years in the making for this particular film. And it takes a lot of work. We used to hear how Harry, Harry, Ray Harryhausen used to sit there hours upon hours moving the creatures so that when they shot it, they would have to speed it up so the creature had movement. But that takes hours worth of time. That's why CGI is so uh, used now because you save all that time. But we have to admit, on a lot of times, it doesn't always work. So, like, the new Clash of the Titans film, which relied heavily on CGI, didn't match the 81 version. Well, it's also, I feel like when you do stop motion, it almost, you get more, um, Satisfaction? <laughs> no, I mean, like, because it is a 3D model, you actually see the depth, and sometimes, you know, as good as CGI can be, it comes off as a little flat, if that makes any sense. Mm-hmm. I mean, in fact, it, it, there's a, 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 a sentence, blurb. yeah, a blurb here from this article. It says, "This is undoubtedly a work of historic significance made by a master in his field, but beware that this often feels like a filmmaking notebook full of doodles and ideas, but not especially cohesive as a story." So I can kind of see that, especially towards the end when, when you and I were asking, like, "What happened to the other assassin? Like, where where he go?" Well, we haven't even got to that part yet. Right. Because the assassin, the whole idea is he's supposed to take these suitcase and blow up another pile of suitcases and then the bomb doesn't go off 
So then they take the assassin and they pull like some crazy worm baby out of him because that's when we actually see people. They just look yeah, like you, scary surgeons. Right, you got a mad doctor and his nurse and they're cutting this first assassin up who almost looks mummified when they take all his gear off. And they're opening him up, like just basically opening the chest and it's bloody. I mean, it shows blood and whatnot. They, they uh, do a good job with that. But he's pulling out like jewelry and like just random shit and all of a sudden we've got this baby that's in the form of a worm and I kind of it had teeth yeah I, I kind of made reference to sort of like it reminded me of a razor head a little bit what they were doing in that film uh, with a little baby that was looked like a mutant or whatever it was sort of like that but uh then of course you had this second assassin because the first one failed so uh, like we find this other guy who's human from the top I guess it's almost like top floor because they're lowering down into the depths so it's like heaven and hell almost but this other guy who's like this master creator, he's cloning these assassins. They called him the last man. Right. So he's creating all these assassins clones, and he just keeps sending them and sending them to try to accomplish this task. However, most of them, they keep getting caught and then killed or and dissected. And then pulling out, like, crying baby worms. It's like, right. it's like a little weird... Uh, cycle that just it and that's that's a key word because I, I brought that up but the whole entire film everything that you see whether it's symbolism or you know the fact that this uh, last man is sending like clones of this assassin to do the same thing over and over again it's like a, a continued cycle so by the time we get near the end of the movie again we're seeing symbolism with, with the planets and the circle and the circle of life and you know, that's sort of what I gathered from this. Like they say, this movie's this movie's not very cohesive as a story, which is true. But there's enough in there that you can kind of say, well, maybe this is what uh, Tippett was going for in terms of like describing what was happening in this particular world mm-hmm. or universe. That everything was just a cycle, and it was uh, ever never repeating. It was just always repeating itself. So uh, it was pretty interesting. I, I really had to say it was pretty interesting. The effects were great. Uh, again, for us, you know, we're kind of like intrigued by it. But if you were to take both of us and put us back in our 20s and doing drugs, it'd probably been 10 times better because it's just that crazy. Uh, when you're not really on those kind of things anymore, it doesn't stand out as it once was. I remember just watching movies as a teen and you know my 20s that were pretty fucking crazy and thinking oh god being on acid watching this is nuts like but now it's like you're watching this just having a beer or, or wine or whatever and it's like it's crazy but uh it would be 10 times better if i was fucked up beyond recognition you know we were trying to do that with dark side of the moon remember where like um we were watching the wizard of oz and we're like you know it'd be great Let's let's uh. Well, add. that that's that's something I've done in the past where I'll jump on acid and then like listen to like King Diamond's Den album and that's it's creepy and then it's also like you're trying it's hard to follow things while on acid because there's a lot of visuals that you have to take in so it's easy to get lost in your own mind lost in what's going on around you so then like the first time I ever did acid was listening to Dark Side Moon I was in a black darked out room with the stereo so oh, like Jesus. I'm like yeah. And then, of course, listening to, say, songs like White Rabbit by Sanctuary when they're doing that cover, mm-hmm. I look across the street and I swear to fucking Christ, I see a woman holding the hand of a little bunny rabbit with a hat. So it's all about the impressions that certain things I don't things believe give. you. It's true. 
It's true. <laughs> so, what I, I I just had to pull it up again to to remind. So after the first assassin gets taken away, and they pull that little worm baby out, the nurse takes it to that creature that looks like a plague doctor, but he's like floating and kind of like things are going everywhere. And then he, um, they take it to an alchemist's lair and they take the little baby and it, it's very graphic and squirt it down or like smash it down until it squirts into this little bottle and then the bottle turns into like this dust and then they take it and they throw the dust um crushes it into crystals and then hands it back to the um alchemist the creature the alchemist the, excuse me the um plague doctor the plague doctor throws the crystals into a portal, which is supposed to, when we were watching all that stuff happening, that's where the new universe was formed. And then it decays again into a ruined world. So I'm always feeling like, it's like this crazy person just keeps creating, destroying, decaying worlds to, uh, to rule over. Because the alchemist seems like the person who's uh, in charge, I guess. Um, what I found that was interesting, too, about um, Phil Tippett is he started it, clearly, a while ago. But it kind of went to a halt and went on the back burner. And he had started doing, like, little mini-releases of Mad God. But then he put up a Kickstarter... And he raised, I think it was like $125,000 to continue production because, you know, he's an independent creator himself. And this is what he came up with and released on Shutter. And it was really great that he was able to revive such an interesting, you know, creation. If you like something gory and you appreciate, because it's, it's stop motion with a little bit of digitized in like intertw intertwined. Um, this is Phil Tippett's specialty. You know, he he always has been a consultant on multiple different um, movies. Um, you know, the little in in Star Wars, like the the AT. I couldn't get it out. ATATs. He he created all of that, and he created that stop motion animation for them. So seeing a a little personal side project of his that almost makes you want to make up your own story to it and that i think he was trying to go for that but what we really saw was cyclical chaos right right, right. and uh there's a uh, another bit in here it says and maybe you and i need to try hunt this other film down is this gets a bit repetitive and soporific over a feature-length haul. He's basically saying about this Tippett's uh, movie, Mad God. Mm -hmm. Tippett is unquestionably a great technician, but he hasn't got the design flair of, say, Guillermo del Toro or the surrealist cerebral reach of uh, Jan Savakmeyer, whose Alice from 1988 is still one of the most disturbing stop-motion feature films ever made. That's the one we need to kind of look up. Mm. And unlike those filmmakers at their best, there's hardly any humor in Tippett's vision, just cruelty and relentless squelching as well. That's true, but I don't think it really takes away so much from this film. It was designed to be kind of a horrific movie. 
uh, even though he could have done some different things, and maybe he did get a little repetitive, but I think that was sort of the purpose that you just mentioned, that mm-hmm. it's all about this continued cycle, which is kind of what he was going after, is that maybe there was never going to be a finality to an end because it was always repeating itself. Uh, but I still found it pretty enjoyable. I mean, I'm not going to say it's the greatest movie ever, but considering you don't get much stop-motion movies anymore than we had in the past, it's it's nice to see someone put that much work into something that came out like that. All right. All right. Back into our music, and we're going to be cruising until we get to the rock block. So got some battle lore, new stuff from them, Magicka, new stuff. Uh, new Tomb Mold, brand new Surruption, which their new album was fucking fantastic. But here's some brand new Temple of Void, of Transcending Horror, that fits right in.
Hey, DJ Anubis here, and I want to say if you dig all things Godzilla and KG related, then check out the YouTube channel of the Sci-Fi Century. He has great reviews, opinions, and theories in the world of sci-fi horror, anime, and of course everyone's favorite comic breeding lizard, Godzilla. Century provides great commentary when both having a special guest on his shows as well as the collaborations with the big teddy bear, that fat samurai guy. So if you want to keep it raw, real, tune into the Sci-Fi Century. That's S-C-I-F-I-S-E-N-T-R-Y. Sci-Fi Century. Tune in to get the best in science fiction and Godzilla-related information. Peace.
everyone, this is Blake from Pig Destroyer. Hate Beak and Zell R.I.P. And you are listening to DJ Anubis and DJ Neko at Metal Tavern Radio. Get into it now. Alright. Time for the rock block. Yeah. Got some stuff from the Metalist PR metal message in here. Brand new stuff from, uh, uh, excuse me, uh, what? Fred Marshall, as well as Sergeant Thunderhoof, The Kilohertz, Impact, and Astronoid will be kicking it all off. We also have Neko's Pick of the Week. I'm excited for, actually, because I really like that band, for one. I think I like the song, too. Yeah. So, uh, we'll have a lot to say on that when we get there, but, uh, brand new Astronoid. I like this band a lot. This is called I Forgotten Your Face. This happens after Neko leaves for like a three months. <laughs> Just kidding.
Everybody, this is Mr. Joshua Gray, your live gameplay DJ, live weekday mornings, every day, but hump day, playing Mortal Kombat or other games occasionally and featuring a number of different artists. So come on by, grab your breakfast, and enjoy some fatalities. Mr. Joshua Gray on YouTube, Monday, Tuesdays, Thursdays, and Fridays, 8 noon to the moon. And you're listening to DJ Anubis and DJ Neko on Metal Tavern Radio.
right. Some Fred Marshall there with burn the ships. Burn the ships? Burn the ships. He actually emailed me directly, so... Oh, that's so nice! Yep, so thank you, Fred, for that. Cool shit. I like that rock. It's good stuff. Now Neko has got her pick of the week for us. And so a couple of... Oh, God, it's been a couple of months, I think, when we started um, expanding our rock block. And... Um, we seem to be expanding everything lately. Well, it's important to understand that there's... When I was listening to the Classic Rock Station, and I told you, like, they they actually had, you know, a new wave hour. And that's what really kind of made me think, okay, well, if we're going to be talking about rock, we have to make sure we're talking about all rock. Not just alternative rock, not just classic rock, not modern rock, post-rock. We have to make sure it makes sense in the big, like, grand scheme of the rock and roll world. So, I started thinking about different bands that I liked, and I came up last week, I think, with a whole new page of, you know, my, my picks of the week that we could discuss. And for this week, I picked the song I Ran by a Flock of Seagulls, mainly because as soon as you hear the song, it is recognizable. Like, you know that it's I Ran. There is no questioning it. It's got this great energy. And, you know, it's got a whole synth-like feeling. It's kind of incredible because, like, this song is, like, their biggest hit. And it was on their very first album. And everybody just kind of associates this song with a flock of seagulls. And, you know, if you ask somebody to name a song by a flock of seagulls, it's Iran. Um, it's been used in movies, commercials, it's just this massive hit that I think anybody, I mean it came out in 1982, so I was two years old when it came out. March of 82, so I wasn't even two years old yet. And you could ask anybody even younger than, than me. You play this song, they know what it is. There, It's been in video games, it's been everywhere. And it's important that we we really recognize the legacy of this song you know it is it is a new wave masterpiece and the new wave kind of era in the late 70s and 80s is an important part of modern rock so i really wanted to kind of put what i think is one of the most recognized new wave kind of songs and have that be a good representation for the 80s new wave. Mm -hmm. And I know you like the song too. And Yeah, you know, I have the, the best dog that I got. I've actually never sat with an entire actual album for The Flock of Seagulls. I mean, I, I say that a lot about a lot of different bands, whether it's rock or metal. I'm like, man, you know, I know the band, but like, I know the hits. Like, I couldn't tell you right now, like, there's a lot of Iron Maiden songs I still don't know because I only really love the hits. And that doesn't mean... I've heard other songs on Number of the Beast that I thought are really good. Or so, you're just like, oh man, I forgot about this song, you know? Right. So, it, it's just one of those things that, like, because we always deal with new music that comes out, you know, it, it, when you're a podcaster or, or a DJ or whatever, you can either stick to one time period so like 
you know, some people, uh, like I know Crypt, he, he, he likes a lot of different things, but he's more mainly a death thrash guy. Mm-hmm. So when he does his shows, that's mainly what he's sticking with. Uh, there's other people that do just black metal uh, radio shows or podcasts and then, you know, such and such. And you and I, we do everything, but we also spend a lot of time on the new music uh, from some of these bands that have been around for a while and some not, but we do music, music, new music every week. Yes. So, we add in that, plus older classics that we have in there. Uh, and then, of course, we've incorporated the rock portion now. So now, again, with the rock stuff, we're still like expanding the horizon a little bit. I mean, there are songs from that Neko and I, we talk about all the time, where I'm like, I don't think that's going to work. You know, like, we, we kind of batted around back and forth. I mean, I... I take all her recommendations seriously, whatever she does. I mean, we fucking had What's-His-Face on here from One Direction. Harry Styles, because he had a, um, it was not a pop song. It was, um, kind of like a post-rock It has some, Well, it had some pop elements, but the, the reality is, like, when things like that happen, like either Miley Cyrus doing Stevie Nicks or whatever, you can kind of appreciate that those artists are paying homage to rock stuff. We, so we found that mm-hmm. out with Justin Timberlake doing some of the kind of disco-esque stuff uh, back in the day. Uh, so these artists aren't afraid to go into the rock genres. I mean, Michael Jackson did. He had Eddie Van Halen play on Beat It, for Christ's sake. Mm-hmm. I mean, so it, it's not that we don't, like, I would never play Michael Jackson unless it was actually kind of a rock-type song. And there are stuff like that have some rock vibes about it, and we know that Run DMC has worked with Aerosmith, and Tone Loke had some samples from Van Halen. So while those things could fit into our rock blocks, we don't do it mainly because they're mainly hip hop artists. Yeah, like Method Man and uh, Limp Biscuit. Right. So you know you can find Limp Biscuit songs that are more rock than rap, and mm-hmm. that's fine, but. You kind of have to judge how much of it's going to play into our fan base. Now, that doesn't mean people who listen to our shows aren't into hip-hop or country or whatever. It's just that when it comes to the theme of this show, we try to keep it as close as possible to uh, the rock and metal stuff. So in our rock blocks, obviously, we're pretty expansive. And you know, and, and like I told you, Flock of Seagulls does incorporate pretty much a lot of rock into their songs. At least with this particular song, so and it really captures the new wave sound. Oh yeah, we well, are not- like after you and I had that discussion when I'm listening to the the rock station and they're dedicating an hour to new wave. I'm like, they're they're appreciating what new wave is, and we need to be able to appreciate it as well. Well, we when we've seen docs that have talked about how. At the time that you had these rock bands like Dawkins and Rat and Molly Crew, and then you had thrash bands like Slayer, Metallica, and Megadeth, and then of course the New Wave, they all you would hear like the stories of them going to clubs, and all three of these type of genres, even hardcore and punk, were in there. Mm-hmm. So like you had this mishmash of stuff. So eventually these bands had to like separate themselves because their fan bases just couldn't get along. Like none of them were like able to get along with the next group of people it's like if you have flock of seagulls playing with a rat and rat there along with metallica well that's three different fan bases you're dealing with and they don't get along so as you we've seen in docs before these bands like they move out of out of city so 
L7 was caught in that LA scene for a long time. And that's why they got out. Yeah, they, they just jumped wasn't up the to, same. They went up to Seattle because that scene fit what they were doing. Um, and even the San Francisco scene with the thrash, like many of the bands like Metallica and them enjoyed hanging out in San Fran because that's where all the thrash guys were for Testament and Exodus and all these guys. So, it, it, you know, it's just interesting when you see these docs because you never would think, oh my God, these guys actually played with Devo, who has punk roots, or Ramones, and etc. And you're like, wow, you know, it's pretty crazy. But then we realize over time they all kind of just scatter. But then also the funny thing is you find that when you watch these guys who are in thrash bands, they wear shirts of like the Ramones, like yeah. they're influenced by some of that. So it's really funny how that all kind of works out. Now, granted not going to find too many bands that are in heavy metal that are influenced by new wave however as we see down the road like fear factory incorporating industrial mm -hmm. music certainly that plays a part I, in fact they fucking did a cover of gary newman so they were clearly somewhat influenced by gary newman in some way uh so that's the kind of cool shit that you see and gary newman fit perfectly in that new wave era as well absolutely so, I'll leave it to you. It's your song. So, without further ado, I would love to present the song I Ran by A Flock of Seagulls, and I'm going to dance while this is going on. <laughs> Attention, please. Be prepared for a musical transformation that you've never felt before. We will bring you on a journey like there's no tomorrow, and we will break new ground. Hailing from the land below the wind. Ten, nine, eight, seven. Six, five, four, three, two, one, zero. Ladies and gentlemen, let's welcome DJ Neko's pick of the week.
Aurora
this is Isaac Goldsmith. This is Jonathan West from Exhortation, and you're listening to Metal Tavern Radio. Ghost in the most. So we had a chance to revisit a 1976 film that I had seen much younger and hadn't seen in a while, but you had never seen, called Food of the Gods. Yeah. So uh, <laughs> this was, uh, I think, H.G. Wells maybe made it, uh, or at least wrote it maybe. I don't know, his name appears on the cover anyway, but... The premise is, when a strange edible substance appears on a remote island, local farmer Mr. Skinner and his wife deem it a blessing and feed it to their farm animals. What's really funny is, this movie only got a 24% mm-hmm. on Rotten Tomatoes. Both uh, critics and audience. And it's absolute, it's, it's gold. priceless, it's gold. Yeah, I mean, look, if you're looking for B-rated movies, and you, look, we always talk about how the 70s had, like, basically the, it was like the monster or animals attack era of Hollywood. Like, mm-hmm. you had Jaws, you had uh, Piranha, you had Tentacles, you had Orca, you had all these, you know, movies about creatures going crazy. Well, Food of Gods is no different. It's still playing up on that stuff, and then, of course... We talk about the the movie uh, Willard plus Ben came out there in the same mm-hmm. era, and so it, this whole thing with going back and watching this movie started actually with watching a uh, Nazira, nineteen sixty four, which was a movie that was supposed to come out about kaiju uh, or kaiju about uh, this these Tokyo uh, Japanese men and this movie never got made right, and, and they were using rats as their prop for their movie. So it just got me thinking, well, let's go see how rats are used and used well. Yeah, <laughs> well. Now, granted, well is like, you know, just hypothetically, but considering, really, when you think about it, like the miniature sets that they used was good. Like I saw, like, the replica of the Jeep was good. Um, now, granted, these rats, when it came to the sound of, like, they're, what they're supposed to make, they had more, like, lion sounds, like growls and roars. <laughs> and, uh... But this ooze that comes out of the ground, like, once Mr. Skinner mixed it with his feed, he fed it to his chickens. So, basically, anything that was like a baby would eat this and then grow to enormous size. Now, we're not talking, like, Godzilla size, but we're talking, like, standing about as tall as a man, at least. And the the rats were, like, size of cows, maybe. Right, so... We find out other critters have gotten into this feed, which are pests and whatnot. So you have uh, wasps that, you know, that's one of the first things we see. Although they didn't use, like, any kind of stop-motion wasps or anything like you would see in other films. It was more like shadows they were trying to play with. And Nick was like, is that supposed to be a bug? <laughs> yeah, is it, is it, like... Is it a ghost? Like it was. It was kind of like the old. Yeah, you could see it right through it. Mm-hmm. It was. It was the old trick that they used to use in film, where they would kind of like superimpose film over top of each other, and right. that's what it was. And they just kind of blew up the wasp to be a bigger size. Right. So, you know, you have wasps that get in, and then there's like little worms that get in and they grow a little bit, and uh, of course the rats. Now, you know, one thing that 
I laughed at with Neko watching this. I was like, you know, they never really got into spiders or ants or anything that could have gotten to the shit, too. But uh, I guess their budget just fell through at that point. They couldn't afford to go any further with the, the creature features. But, uh, and actually, I would just say this. They never remade this film, but maybe they should because I think they'd probably do a pretty good job with it fun-wise uh, for those that love, like, monster movies and stuff. So, uh, but then we have this guy named Morgan, played by our Marjo Gartner, Gortner, who was a football player, and, and we don't really know if it's a professional team or college. I don't, we really don't find that out. But apparently, he uh, goes on a hunting trip with a couple buddies, who one of them we named uh, Serious Will Ferrell, <laughs> <laughs> who looks like Will Ferrell, only serious. Oh, he's always got like a serious face. Oh. Right, so. He goes on a hunting trip, and one of the guys follows the deer into the forest before the other two can keep up with him, and he gets attacked by a wasp. Now, at first, when the other two, Joe and the other guy, find their friend, they assume that he's got hurt somehow, so they, he dies, of course. So they take him back, and they find out that he was apparently stung by, like, a million the gazillion... Monster. Well, well, they don't even know it's monster at the time. The scientists are like, well, he has enough venom that he got stung by like a thousand fucking wasps. So we don't even know at, for our, our lead guy here so far that there's like something amiss with the creatures out there in this little island that they go to on the ferry. Uh, so they go back out there and, of course, uh, the wife of Mr. Skinner... You know, she's kind of like trying to hide things uh, from people who are trying to get help and all this other stuff. You meet random other characters who are like, there's this pregnant woman with her husband in uh, Winnebago that gets uh, stalled on the side and of the nobody, road. nobody, nobody <laughs> Everyone passes by her. Pass, passes by her with no, uh, not even trying to help them out or anything. Uh... Yeah, look, it, this is your low-grade B-C movie, but for those of you that are like me and grew up in the the 70s and 80s with drive-ins and stuff, this is the kind of stuff we would just eat up because it's really fun. I mean, look, uh, if we really think about it, Night of the Living Dead isn't like a really top-tier zombie movie. It's mm -hmm. a classic by a lot of stretch because it's the first one of its kind, really. Uh but, you know, there's a lot of these moves that were played at these drive-ins that, you know, were what people craved at the time. Uh, but, you know, I'm, I was actually pleasantly surprised Neko enjoyed it. You know? I thought it was hysterical. I don't know why. I just... Well, yeah. Everything was just so over the top. Well, and the dialogue. Like, that's mm -hmm. the thing, too. It's like, you know, when you make these kind of movies, the budgets are only so much. But we say it all the time that, like, the script writer is like, they don't do you any good service when they're not putting much thought into the dialogue, but it's not really meant to be that way. Mm -hmm. I just watched Varan the other day from 1962. Uh, it's another kaiju-type movie, and I had to kind of stop it because I know there's a cool kaiju in it, but the dialogue, uh, just in general, is terrible. Like, that movie needs, like, a serious updating just on a script part, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. <clears throat> And I know that, you know, you and I were big Godzilla fans and all that, and kaiju fans and stuff, so there are Godzilla movies out there that are kind of the same way, but they're at least a little better in terms of the scripting uh, compared to some of these other movies, and this is no different here with this movie. It's like, they actually made a sequel to this, actually. Really? Yes, it's called Nah, the 
Food of the Gods Part 2. Oh, my uh, God. Which isn't too bad either. I haven't seen it in a long time. Need to see if I can find it. But uh, I think there's actually a person that got grown big. I can't remember. I saw Still not too long ago. It's just so funny because, like, that whole end scene where <laughs> they had the dynamite. I'm like, they're trying to blow off the dam and then they're driving with their Jeep. And I'm like, you're never going to make it. Yeah, well, that was the thing. Like, the whole idea was these rats were really starting to become dominating. Like, they were really big. They were, you know, they killed people here and there. And they crawled all over the place. They already killed the nest of the wasp, which was easy enough. Although, that was kind of a weird thing, too. He's sticking his hand up in the hole. And I'm like, dude, that would never happen. You'd be... You'd be dead. Yeah, like, there's no way the wasp is going to let you stick your hand up in there and put dynamite or whatever it was. You could have just lit the shit on fire and that would have done the job. No, they had to put dynamite up. And yeah, it had to be like up. super secret. Ooh, put this shit up there. Uh, and so it is ridiculous. There is some ridiculous stuff in there. But the, the whole plan at the end was they got trapped in a house kind of like Night of the Living Dead. They're sitting there. They're blocked in. These rats are ravaging around the house, which they could chew through just about anything. Uh, but they're crawling on this house. So the idea is well, we're going to blow the dam because we're assuming that these 150 pound rats can't swim they can't relearn to swim that's what uh morgan that was yeah like they're so big they can't swim yeah so the water comes and of course the rats fall off this thing which even though rats are very good climbers they probably could have climbed up at the top of the house and avoided this but uh so they fall in the water they start drowning of course these the footage you have is just basically them like the filmmakers just throwing rats in the water and make them look like they're drowning. So we never really clarified whether or not there was Are actually they dead right. Or... Yeah, because yeah. we, we were concerned about the animal welfare at this point. Mm -hmm. But knowing the time period that this was made, they, they the were 70s, yeah, like I mean, look, Cannibal Holocaust didn't have a problem killing turtles and monkeys and shit. So wouldn't surprise me if they didn't give a shit about rats and just kind of like drowned a few just to make it look legit. Uh. But, I mean, as a film, it's still very much entertaining. Just, you know, the concept is pretty cool. Like, it always was. And, unfortunately, often I forget about it a lot of times because of all the movies we watch and the horror stuff and, you know, kaiju stuff. It's like you don't really often think about this particular movie or even the sequel. But it's up there. It's still part of those giant monster movies that we often talk about. Like... Even now, if we went to watch The Great Spider Invasion from 77, I think it was, mm -hmm. uh, as a child, that was creepy to me, seeing the trailer. I didn't ever see it as a kid when it hit the theaters, but it was a big drive-in uh, favorite. Uh, I saw it years later, and then I realized just how ridiculous it really was, and so when you read the reviews about the giant spider that's actually a VW bug with spider shit on it, driving down oh, the ground. what? Yeah, so you have to catch that sometime. Uh, you haven't seen that, but that, that's the the hilarity of it. It's like, okay, they did this, and they put this out on theaters and drive-ins. Uh, but as a kid, you know, you're thinking, oh my god, giant spiders, holy shit. Meanwhile, you've got really good classics like Kingdom of the Spiders with William Shatner or mm -hmm. even Tarantulas of Deadly Cargo, which actually have real spider uh, use of uh, tarantulas in them. Uh, those are far more effective uh, than this giant spider invasion, which had a few tarantulas, but nothing, you know, the whole big thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just didn't work. 
Uh, and then as you get older, it's like you realize just how ridiculous it really is. I would have found kind of like because we've had rats as pets. We had a rat. He was like super chill, and they're trying to use rats and make them look scary, but they're not scary at all. Like they're just like climbing all over things and doing their rats do this little nosy thing, which I love, where they just wiggle their noses and sniff the air, and it's just like. Rats being blown up again, superimposed on some um, models, and then sniffing their noses. And then they use like the lion roar. I'm like, they don't even look like scary at all. They just look like I want to pet them. Yeah, and that's the thing. Like, even in the Nazura thing that we were watching, like the rats looked more curious and loving than they did like voracious or fearsome. Mm -hmm. Like. And so these rats that they use in Food of the Gods, it's like they're crawling over these miniature, like, vehicles and houses and stuff, which is cool. But they do not look like they're out to kill or take blood. Mm. So then insert the uh, giant puppeteering with the big head. Oh, so, the head. I forgot yeah. about the big head. Now, granted, Food of the Gods, it was used better than what they were trying in uh, Nazura because Nazura was kind of like, one, you had to get the actress to perform right and it wasn't even like in a setting it was almost like she was standing in front of the screen and then they were just kind of doing this she's like oh yeah ah you know but in food of the gods they they you know the guy who's mr skinner who's killed in his little vw bug that bug shows up everywhere uh they lit at least lit, made it look like he was actually being attacked by the rats and so, even though you can tell they were fake and all that, but at the time, if you're a kid again watching this, you're like, <gasps> you know, so it's really cool. A lot of fun. <laughs> I can't believe, though, how low on uh, the tomato meter. It, like, there's yeah, so it, much entertainment. Yeah, you know, and, and that's a, the debate that even Samurai has a lot of times when he does, like, is it really that bad? Like, this is what I should bring to his attention, because I'm like... There are bad movies out there. I just don't think this really falls on the super low bad. Like, oh, look, it's probably maybe a 5 or 6 out of 10 as far as a movie. So that's about 50 or 60%. 20% is really kind of really low. low. Yeah, you have to really hate this movie to uh, not enjoy that. And But look at this, this uh, cover art. This is great. I like this. This isn't really representative of the movie, but it's great. You got the rat in the tree and a chick laying there on top of the branch. Yeah. I mean, I love that shit. That's great. But, uh, oh God. yeah, so it was cool to watch that. And I, you know, I always love it when Neko enjoys something from the past that I can throw at her. She still hasn't seen Tentacles yet. I might have to make that a retro. I just watched it recently, so I ordered it and everything. But, uh, I don't think she's seen that one yet either with the octopus. But that was another I don't one. think I did either. That's another one from the heyday. A couple of workers are in it. Uh, they play a role, so it's really kind of fun. <laughs> but I was watching that movie, and I was telling Brandon from, you know, Derek and all them. I was like, yeah, you know, this, this film doesn't age that well because, again, uh, acting-wise, it's just very, very weak. Like it's kind of blah. Yeah, and it's like that's, you know, at the time when you're in the midst of this big run of movies... People probably don't pay much attention to all that, but as time goes on, you're like, look, man, Jaws is like a goddamn masterpiece compared to this film, mm -hmm. you know? And, of course, there's the similarities, you know? The octopus is uh, terrorizing this town, uh, but we saw that sort of with Orca, too. They kind of play off, like, oh, 
yeah, the orc is just trying to be a Jaws ripoff. And, you know, they're all their own unique stories, but they all kind of base it off the Jaws thing. All right, anything else you want to add to this? No, I just really enjoyed it, and I thought it was fun and funny, because, like, just everything was over the top. And I, I enjoy something that's over the top every now and then. Yeah, I mean, just, it's really, I mean, we need to see enough shit, you know. It's like some things are just more enjoyable when you know it's corny. Some things try to be corny for the sake of being corny, and they don't come out well, but this was something that was probably intended to be serious and scary, and again, at the time, probably worked pretty well, but now it, we can just look at it and say, yeah, it's pretty corny, but it's a lot of fun. All right, All in right. our next block, new stuff from Slugathor, Carnal Ghoul, and here's some brand new origin, Nostalgia for Oblivion.
This is the Retro Movie Vault with your hosts DJ Anubis and DJ Neko only on Metal Tavern Radio. You haven't heard anybody say anything about either one of these. Well, what about these two? They suck. These are the same two movies? You weren't paying any attention. No, I wasn't. I don't think your manager would appreciate it. I appreciate your ruse, ma'am. I beg your pardon? Your ruse, your cunning attempt to trick me. For that arrogance, I shall see you dead. Yeah. All right, you primitive screwheads, listen up. See this? This is my boomstick. It's a 12 gauge double barreled Remington. S Mart's top of the line. You can find this in the sporting goods department. That's right, this sweet baby was made in Grand Rapids, Michigan. Retails for about $109.95. It's got a walnut stock, cobalt blue steel, and a hair trigger. That's right. Shop smart. Shop S-Mart. You got that? Now I swear, the next one of you primates even touches me. Let's talk about how I get back. All right. A little bit of a familiar sound there uh, from Mr. Bruce Campbell in my intro. I forgot, like, how many of your little intro blurbs were from this movie. There's a lot in there from this, too. Like, so that's... It really um, had an impact on me, especially when I went to make the intro. I mean, this intro now despite changing a little bit with the beginning, uh, was made back in 2005, so, like, it's really stuck Damn. around. Yeah. It's been made when we got married. Yeah. <laughs> this will be 17 years for us, right? Right? Yeah. Yeah. Damn. Damn, we getting old. And on the 28th of this month, which is right around where th- when this will be released, we met 20 years ago, June 28, 2002. DJ yep. Anubis called up my voicemail and left a message saying, Yeah, uh, hey, this is DJ Anubis. Uh, <laughs> I didn't say DJ Anubis. Well, this, I'm not giving out your real name. Uh, well, not like anybody doesn't know. Yeah, right. Uh, yeah, this is uh, James. Uh, this is Tony's friend. Uh, I just want to know if you'd like to go out to dinner tonight. Okay. That was my nerdy moment. And then I called him back, and the fucker didn't answer the phone. So I'm like, oh, that sounds so great. Thanks for the invitation. I was working. <laughs> I was working, too. <laughs> but like, I was in there, I remember, like, oh, man, I'm really nervous. So I'm going to call. 
And like I just like said, please don't answer, please don't answer, go to voicemail, go to voicemail. <laughs> <laughs> and the thing is, the douchebag that gave um, DJ Anubis my phone number, I had dated, and I'm like, I didn't even. He didn't even get my permission to release my phone number to a total stranger. And it was, I had met. Well, we've talked about this. I think if this was a ploy for one, to see if you would jump at it. And then two, some things that happened later, he was upset about. Yeah, he was trying to pass me off because, oh, surprise, he was married and forgot to tell me. Um,. But he he had had given the phone number to DJ Anubis, and I met DJ Anubis for like ten minutes before we even went out. It was like a thir- Thursday, maybe. Um, yeah, maybe. And then Friday. Well, Friday we went out, oh, but right, I think yeah, we yeah. met on Thursday and just kind of said hi to each other. And DJ Anubis thought I was really funny because I was like such a troll uh, to to the, this guy to yeah. this guy. Um, and this guy didn't even really give DJ Anubis like this glowing recommendation of me. He was like, "Yeah, she's such a pain in the ass <laughs> and a psycho." Like, yeah, he's like, "Yeah, she's a stalker and a psycho." And I'm like, sign me up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like, <laughs> and then when he met me, he's like, "You're you're normal." I'm yeah, like, you're not like anything like this dude says. And you're like, "Wait, what did he say?" <laughs> Little did he know the shit would be coming down. Yeah, he got fired, and I've never seen him in 20 years. And And that's a big tip-off, folks, because it wasn't fired because of what he did with us. It was, But it showed that he was lying to other people about things that ended up getting him in trouble. So, like, this guy just wasn't very trustworthy all the way around. But, uh, yeah, he lied about his brother dying so he could get time off from work. I guess it all it kind of like exploded into a, a big lie because he and I were dating, and this is before I found out that he was still married. Whoops! And um, whoops! He would always come up with these really big lies, like when he couldn't get away from his wife, and one of them was he had to go to West Virginia, where his family is from, because his his brother died crazy scenario though down the road years like dj anubis and i were um married like so this is probably like six years after he you know i had broken up with this dude maybe seven years after i broken up with this dude his wife actually took a chance and called my place of business because we all worked at you know he used to work there and you know, I, I confirmed a lot of things about, like, my suspicions, and she confirmed that, you know, all these things that he said about, like, people dying, or, you know, his daughter was in the hospital, or whatever, uh, it was all fake. So anyway, back to DJ Anubis and his awesome love of Army of Darkness. Sorry that I, I had, I just... Yeah, this actually was her pick of the week, um, but... I, well... What did I pick initially? And I said I wanted to watch. Um, oh, you picked. I think you picked the thing. The thing, and well, I was like, I'm really in the mood to yeah, watch it, the thing. And you're like, we we did that like yeah, back on it, episode it, 35 yeah, or something. It wasn't like an actual retro review, but we had spent a lot of time talking about that film and the legacy of it. So 
kind of weirdly enough, before yesterday, we were going to spend the entire episode talking about Sam Raimi and Evil Dead movies as well as Army of Darkness. But then we end up catching a couple other flicks. So we worked those in. So this, while we were talking about Army of Darkness, we will also cover Sam Raimi. We did spend time watching the remake of 2013's Evil Dead, which we still enjoyed. So we're going to get into a little bit later. But Army of Darkness is basically the trilogy, the third film in the Evil Dead series. Uh, the Evil Dead remake that was made was actually kind of like a a reboot but it was sort of combining both the first film and the second film which we'll get into but uh army of darkness was and i've been reading just we all know because the first two films were rated r they were horror films second one was far more funny than the first one uh because Raimi was kind of redoing the first one but not totally uh there was different things changed but the, the whole scene was the same that the cabin mm -hmm. the horror everything else but I remember seeing Evil Dead 2 first. I did too. And laughing my ass off because I'm like, yeah, this is creepy. There's some gore in here and stuff. But I'm like, I cannot stop laughing at Bruce Campbell and how he's in this film. It's Ash. Like, it's really ridiculous. And so it's one of those things where you go and let me like, yeah, I love horror films and I love stuff that scares me. But then there's also this other part of it where, you, where us as horror fans, we like the subtle comedy, comedy that's thrown in with it. So that was one of those films, like, as a kid or teenager, I'm kind of like, well, good, I like the comedy kind of alleviating the tension. And I think, you know, because when we saw the first Evil Dead, you know, it was more serious, and Bruce being mm -hmm. more serious, but then when you see, like, Bruce is more comfortable being that sarcastic, funny guy, you see what kind of gold it is like he's he's hysterical and that's a big part of what happens to bruce following armory of darkness so armory of darkness is really if you don't know evil dead 2 ends he's going through this portal after they're trying to close the necronomicon that's opened up this world to demons he goes through this portal and at the end of evil dead 2 he ends up in medieval, medieval times that's pretty much all they show you. you know he's there and he's killing a deadite and all this other stuff uh but Army of Darkness is while he's there immediately times. That whole movie is based off him in his time there. But this is where Neko and I agreed that Raimi really became, uh, or at least practiced his, his profession at making comedy and horror. So for those that don't know, Raimi went on to make the Hercules series and Xena series that followed shortly after on regular TV. And you can kind of see that this was brewing through Army of Darkness. This is where these ideas were probably popping in his head. Mm -hmm. Like, I can do something mainstream that's not quite as gory, but has the same type of comedy and, and action and stuff. Because, really, Army of Darkness isn't true horror. It does have horror elements, but it's mainly an action movie because it's a lot more fighting and the comedy bits are far more because now you have, uh, like, a... a Ash doppelganger talking shit and you know the the skeletons also cracking jokes and stuff like this so. and the to go back to what we were talking about you know earlier in the show about the um the claymation all of this was actual physical special effects special yeah. effects so you've got an entire army of fucking skeletons that they're 
manipulating, and they looked pretty good. Oh, yeah, especially back then. This is 92 when this came out. So, you know, basically you have Ash, who's been captured by King Arthur. Uh, he's being brought back as they think that he's part of uh, Henry the Red, who is the opposing force that they're fighting. So they bring him back to the castle, and... <laughs> Apparently, the entire nation is facing this dilemma with these deadites that are plaguing both clans, but that the clans are fighting one. Probably because the deadites are actually mimicking uh, their people and like pretending they're like like they're pretending that Arthur's people is killing the Henry the Reds and so mm-hmm. on. So this is why they're probably fighting each other because the deadites are very clever at this. They will pretend to be somebody they're not. But at King Arthur's Castle, they have a pit that they have some deadites captured in, and they basically feed anybody they don't want to keep alive into this pit. So the first funny thing that happens is they dump one of the King uh, King Henry the Red's uh, men in there, and it's quiet. And then also you hear screaming, and all of a sudden this like fucking shower of blood just flows up out of the ground. And it's so ridiculous, but. It sets the tone for everything that's coming because then, of course, we have this love interest for Ash, a princess whose brother was killed in the battle with King uh, Henry the Red. And so she's like spitting and punching Ash, you know, in the stomach, saying he's a piece of shit because she doesn't realize that he's from a whole other time. Uh, only this, like, uh, wizard or uh, what would you call, like, uh, what do they call these people in the cloaks? That they're kind of like advisors or something uh, to the king who thinks that he understands, he thinks that Ash is from another time to be the savior that they need. But at the meantime, they uh, they kick, push uh, Ash into the fucking pit. And then we see Ash fighting the dads because he knows how to handle himself with these creatures from the first two films. Uh... So yeah, you heard a little clip there mm-hmm. when Ash gets out and he's like, basically he's got his new, his weapons back, his, his little shotgun as well as the uh, chainsaw that he has on his hand. Uh, so then he spends the rest of the film like trying to get the Necronomicon. Necronomicon. Uh, so they can send him back to his time. But of course, they also want the book to help spell the the deadites and keep them from getting that because if they get a hold of it the world is fucking doomed uh there's a funny moment when ash goes out there and neck and i always laugh at this because we we do it all the fucking time he goes to get the necronomicon there's three books there he has to say (laughs) three specific words uh, to which he was kind of blabbering to the advisor like yes i know the words and even now i Clato, Verada, Nicto is the, is the three words. That's the words. actual words. Or is that close to the words? <laughs> right. So, you know, the advisor's telling him, like, repeat them after me. And he's like, yeah, I get it. I got it. You know, so he gets out there to the dark forest. He gets these, there's three books. Two of them aren't really what they're supposed to be. So they're like traps. And it's kind of funny how the traps are. But finally he gets the book and he's like, oh yeah, the words. So he's... Clato, Verada, and he can't remember. Nectarine. Right, so he's like, he's like, I know the words, it's on the tip of my tongue. So he thinks he's fucking sly. He's like, Clato, Verada, and therefore he takes the book, thinks he's got it good, but all of a sudden shit starts going south. 
Yeah. And he's like, that's it? I said the I word. I said the words. That's like our thing. We yeah. always, any anytime something happens or we do something, we always go, that's it? I said the I word. I said the words. Yeah. So that's, that's kind of our thing. And uh, there's some other really funny bits of the film. Um, there's a moment where before he gets to the books, he's at this like windmill. And uh, <laughs> I forget, how did he... Uh, because the evil was chasing him, so he goes into the windmill and closes it off, and then the evil stops. Oh, that's right. He broke a mirror, and so what happens is in the mirror, his reflection, there was like some miniature meanings of him. So probably about, I don't know, what, a foot maybe? Maybe not, not even. Not even. Maybe like Half four inches. Yeah, yeah, so uh, there's little mini-me's of him that are like four inches high that start running around, and they're trying to fuck with him, and... Obviously, they're trying to get into his mouth, which at one point they do. But uh, there's a one real funny moment where he's chasing them down, and of course he's much bigger than they are. But he's like, "London Bridge is falling down, falling down," and then he goes to step on them, and they pull up this like nail that gets him in the shoe, and he's like, <gasps> and then of course the man is like, "My fair lady," you know, in a little high voices because they're small. And then he was like squishing them. Right. So eventually they tie him down, sort of like, uh, I forget the guy that, there's like a movie or a book based off of the guy. Gulliver's That's Travels. it. Thank you. Look, at she's on top of that shit. But yeah, so it's kind of like that, and they, they have one that jumps into his mouth, and all of a sudden, you know, he throws hot water down his throat to try to kill it. Uh, but this is, for those that are familiar with this series, obviously, this is very reminiscent of what happened with his hand in Evil Dead 2, where... His hand became possessed and he had to cut it off because it was punching him and beating his ass. Which, ironically, a little bit of a spoiler, if you have not seen the latest Doctor Strange movie, Bruce Campbell's in that and there is references to that scene. Oh my god. Uh, so, because Sam Raimi directed that, but we'll get into that here in a minute. Uh, so yeah, so in, he ends up having like this second head that appears on his shoulder and they're punching each other and they're fighting and howling at the moon. Finally, they separate and we realize that uh, Ash has a, a doppelganger that's the same size and everything. And so he's like, you're good, Ash, and I'm bad, Ash. You're goody-goody two-shoes, Ash. It's like he's split in half. Right. Uh, <laughs> and, of course, if you've listened to my intro, you, you'll know the ending. He's like, shoots the guy and says, yeah, but I have the gun. Good. <laughs> Bad. bad. I'm the guy with the gun. Right. So, uh, he buries it, cuts it up the body, buries it because it is a possessed demon or whatever, and then moves on his way. Now, he gets back to the castle, and, uh, shit's broken loose. The advisor's pissed off because, like, you didn't say the words. Now we've got all these deadites coming after us. Uh, his girlfriend gets kidnapped. Of course, there's some funny scenes between those two beforehand, but I'll let you all watch that and get that for yourself. Uh, but she becomes possessed uh, with the demon version of Ash, who has come back from the grave as well. And now they're, like, uprising the dead. They're getting all the skeletons, and they're digging each other out of a hole at the graves and whatnot. So they're coming to march on this castle. Again, they're after the book. So, really kind of just jumping around here... Uh, they go through battles and stuff, and then eventually Ash prevails, of course. Uh, gets back to his time, and then there's like a nice little ending scene there. We did notice 
through some flashbacks, uh, which is interesting because they never used the same actress for his girlfriend in any of the movies. Uh, so basically, like in the flashback in Army of the Dark or Army of Darkness, is that uh, he says, "You know, I had a girlfriend. We were at a cabin. The girlfriend, uh, the actress, was Bridget Fonda in the flashback. Mm-hmm. So she's not the same she's, actress from the movie. Yeah, she's not the same in. Uh, and the actress from Evil Dead Two is not the same from Evil Dead One. So it's really kind of funny how that all works. I don't know why they just couldn't get the same chick, but I guess they weren't too concerned with all that. They didn't need the continuity, I guess. Right. But it was funny, you know, we watched um, Army of Darkness and we were just really talking about Sam Raimi and all the interesting things. And you've you've brought up that the the Evil Dead remake was on, um, what was it, Tubi or Yeah, Tubi. It was Tubi, yeah. So I'm like, you know, I think I only saw it one time, so maybe we should watch it to kind of like get the the army of darkness and the evil dead feeling so we watched it it is completely i i just forgot how i love gross and gory like love but there were many times during the evil dead remake that i was like (gasps) we both are doing and that's the thing like um obviously the reboot 2013 reboot is more serious take on the Evil Dead series. Like, of all of mm-hmm. them, this one had, like, almost, like, I don't think I don't think there's any comedy anywhere. No, it's not. I mean... It's all dead serious. Now, and I can appreciate that because people get mad at me. There's a lot of diehard enthusiasts for the Evil Dead series that love the first one a lot. And I get it. Uh, that really broke a lot of ground for Sam Raimi. Uh, it introduced us to uh, Bruce Campbell, obviously. And even though I can appreciate the effects that Raimi had at the time for Evil Dead 1, uh, if I'm watching this new film, it's just ten times better. Uh, and it, it's just how it is. Like, as time goes on, technology gets better. Uh, some effects, they didn't really cheese out in effects at all in this. And Sam Raimi and Bruce Campbell both were producers on the film. Right. So it was just... So they had their own input on this. So it wasn't like... It was just some dude like trying to knock off what Raimi was doing. They these and they're still working on another film of the Evil Dead series. So uh, we got another one coming, and I don't think it's another reboot. I just think it's another film in the series. But I'm I'm happy about that because they both really love the franchise. And even though Bruce's or uh, yeah Bruce has gone on to do other things, uh, he still doesn't mind. Playing that character, or at least going to fans and saying, "Yeah, this is who I was, and this was a big thing for me back then," because he and Sam Raimi are very close. Interesting enough, Army of Darkness and Rotten Tomatoes has an 87% audience score and 73% uh, critic score, so that's pretty good. That for, is pretty good. Yeah. I mean, and it's really hard. Like, if you find somebody who's never seen Army of Darkness, it is really hard to even explain the movie to them or get them to watch it um and it seems like you either love it or hate it there's really no like it's what, like e- which one army of darkness yeah. like evil dead i can see why people be like i'm not interested because like somebody's tongue is getting cut in half and well surprisingly enough the remake did do fairly well it had 63 critics and 63 audience but obviously you and i like this far more than they do but uh, you know, that was one of those, when we talk about remakes and reboots, it's very rare when we like 
those type of things. So when it happens, we're like kind of excited about it. And even to now, like the re the remake, I'm like that arm scene in the kitchen was just nuts. Like, and of course they were sort of paying homage to the hand scene from mm -hmm. Evil Dead too. So uh, I enjoyed that part of it too. And the part at the end of um, the Evil Dead remake where like the jeep falls on her what was it her foot hand, her, her hand and she's like just oh you can see it like ripping and like it's the effects are so well done i don't know i just I, we got into that like sam raimi mood and we were we were going to dedicate this entire episode to all things sam raimi but um we found some other interesting things to talk about so like in case you weren't really caring about Sam Raimi. We've got some Sam Raimi here, and we've got some other movies that are interesting as well. Right. And just for a thought, uh, just they don't have Evil Dead on uh, Rotten Tomatoes, the first one, but the second one they do. 89% audience, 95% critics. For? Evil Dead 2, the second one. That's pretty great. Like the OG. Well, not the first one, the second, second one. one. The one that you and I have watched first. Yeah. Well, the Evil Dead first one is... Um, short it's a, it's like a shorter movie it's like much and right then, so evil dead 2 is more like expanded expanded on it. on it and i think that's that's what they really were trying to do is make it make it funny and make it um interesting and scary at the same time but like i said over the years sam raimi has done a lot of different things stuff for tv uh movie wise obviously the evil dead uh evil dead 2 dark man which is a big favorite among people. I've never actually sat and watched it with uh, Liam Neeson. Uh, Army of Darkness, of course. The Quick and the Dead, a remake with uh, Sharon Stone and Leo DiCaprio. Very good film. I love that one a lot. Uh, the Gift from 2000 that you and I liked with uh, Katie Holmes and Keanu Reeves where the one woman was like a clairvoyant that could see when she touched you could see what your future was oh okay that was a very kind of creepy movie which had a lot of good actors in it uh he did i believe the first three spider-mans with uh toby mcguire i believe uh, dragged me to hell i never sat and watched that that's kind of hit and miss with people with that one uh he did the last film before dr strange this year was in 2013 odds are great and powerful he did that uh, but most of his work uh, has been in TVs and producing. Like he's produced a lot of like more, um, like some movies like like Time Cop with Claude Van Damme, The Grudge, um, The Grudge Two, Thirty Days of Night. He was a producer on that. Um, Evil Dead Thirteen. Again, we talked about that. Uh, he was also a producer of the Poltergeist remake. Sorry, Sam. That was not very good. No, he's not really to blame for that. That's the director there for that one. Uh, but, yeah, he's done, like, a lot of horse as a producer. Again, executive producer on, like, stuff like Hard Target. Mm -hmm. Van Damme again. Hard Target. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, okay, so here he's going to be an executive producer for Evil Dead Rise, which will come out this year, uh, which will be another one in the series of the Evil Dead movies, so uh, I'm trying to see who the director is. It's going to be directed by Lee Cronin, based, of course, on The Evil Dead by Sam Raimi, so it's all going to be based on that. Let me see the premise of this new film coming up. In the fifth Evil Dead film, a road-weary Beth plays an overdue visit to her older sister, Ellie, who was raising three kids on her own 
in a cramped L.A. apartment. The sister's reunion is cut short by the discovery of a mysterious book <laughs> deep in the bowels of L.A.'s <laughs> building. Given rise to flesh-possessing demons and thrusting Beth into a primal battle for survival, she's faced with the most nightmarish version of motherhood imaginable. So... Who knows how this is going to be. We know that in the day and age with woke culture and everything, I don't know how that's going to play. Just have to wait and see, really. It's, uh, but 2013 was a good sign. Like, that, you know, I don't know how serious or funny it's going to be, but should have a lot of fun with that. So? Any final thoughts? No, not really. I, I was just really excited that we got to sit and watch it. It was... For... Us, this is kind of go, going back to like, you know, you've had this intro and Army of Darkness has been great for uh, important to you for a long time. For us, this was one of our first movies that we bonded over. Mm-hmm. Like, we talked about it all the time. We were always like just joking about Army of Darkness, and it's it was just a nice, you know. We, we got these really great... I'm sure I've talked about it on here, our recliners for Christmas. <laughs> we, um, we're always slapping hands. <laughs> yeah, we're high-fiving. We're right next to each other, reclining. And, you know, I hear about people, like, especially when you're looking on social media, and they're like, oh, my husband gave me, like, a million jewelries. And, and I'm like, we got recliners. So... And people come over and they're like jumping in. I'm like, yeah, this is great. Jason, he's like, I was like, see, see what happens. And we have little blankies, you know, draped over each recliner so that you can get cozy. You pull the recliner back, you put the blankie on, you lean back. Oh, it's a whole new world. Right. So we were just, it was just great. Like, that's. That's we're, how we. We're spent living our, our night. best life right now. I'm trying to, anyway. Yeah, so. I mean, it's simple but fun. I'm, there's, there is a time and a place for, for getting wild, and you know, I think occasionally we'll have a wild night, but I mean, I think. Yeah, I think in other areas, you know, it's a little bit off topic. Other areas we talked about where we're gonna kind of slow down. Like I don't think, not like that we're discussing with Maryland Death versus anything even though they're kind of ending we don't know if they're coming back or not I don't know if I could do another four day fe- we were done like it was right. just not fun anymore two days we were going pretty strong we did pretty well mm-hmm. uh, by three and four we're kind of like more and more tired and you know it's just it gets hot and then you know you're doing a lot of standing uh, I think we were kind of more into MDF when it was just centralized at soundstage and Ramshead because you did have a break from the weather, whether it's raining mm-hmm. or hot. Uh, there are people that enjoy the festival uh, atmosphere when, you, when you're outside, which is fine, but as you get older, it's not quite as exciting because your just body isn't equipped to handle a it's lot It's not of even that. about your body is equipped. And then we found out the fucking food was ridiculous. Oh, and not that great. Right. You're, you're paying way too... You're paying for, like, Outback prices for something that's not Outback. Mm-mm. And for me, like, I think what kind of... I think that, like, Blake and Lindsay did, did it the right way. They picked one day to go. And then they just went around and hung out with people. And that's what I think we should probably think about doing the next time is pick one day to go. Yeah, just find a day that has 
more bands that we like and to just spend that day doing that. And then if and then go downtown whenever we felt like it and just sit at the bars and talk to people because everybody is going in and out and I felt like we were trying to do too much. We didn't get enough hangout time except for with Jason because he was staying with us for six days. And we had plenty of hangout time with Jason, but we saw so many people. That was actually the best in terms of hanging out because even Jason was like, you know, even for himself, he's a bit younger than us. He was like kind of done after certain bands and you know, he and, you know, we were able to just sit and actually hang with him, like mm-hmm. talk. We were up for at least two or three hours after the concert. We were playing games and stuff. Right. I just I would hope we could probably you know, like I said, we were we felt like we paid the money we wanted to enjoy the concert so we're like forcing our, I don't want to say forcing because we enjoy the music but we're like jumping from place to place to place at this point if we didn't even have any tickets we could just easily go and sit at one of the bars and power plant and we would see our friends and be like because we did we saw Mark for like a hot second mm-hmm. and but that's all we got Thursday wasn't it just Thursday night or Friday that we saw him for like we saw him Friday but that's you know that's expected because he's there to see bands too and but I feel like we just missed out on so much like time with our friends because well that's why going down the road even if we only go one day if people stay with us those other days we can hang and they if they come back and hang that's fine and we're gonna do what we did the last couple of days is pack a cooler tailgate and DJ Anubis had... That's a reality. I mean, you could literally just go put park in a parking lot for 20 bucks during the day and listen to music because you're you can right hear there. It. Yeah. We, um... DJ Anubis had two. He had hurt... He hurt his foot. Now it's start. It's feeling better now. But I actually... Because there's nowhere to sit when you're at one part of it. I actually am like, should I bring a chair so you can sit down and, like, actually enjoy yourself? Because... You're sitting, like, on the ground or a guardrail. There's no real picnic table or anything, which is, you know, it's 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 a festival. I get it, but... Yeah, I mean, I've seen people complain about old people at festival. I'm like, look, either we can go there and support this music and this scene that we love so much. I mean, look, half of the bands that you see, they're the same age as us. Mm-hmm. Do you think Deicide and the Cavaliers are young guys anymore? No, they're not. They're playing music that we grew up with. So you can't really sit there and say, well, old people ruin these festivals. Like, it was some dude on Twitter that Really? That. He got called out by a festival, though. They said he's a dumbass. But but that's the kind of shit you deal with. They're like, yeah, you know, you're just ruining the entire vibe. I'm like, how am how I ruining How are you? Yeah. I'm like, you, you realize half of the people that go there are older people anyway. They're just actually going with some of their younger kids to show them what the experience is like. Yeah, I was literally just reading an article about, I know we're like, yeah. we're, we're diverting, but I just want to give you this quick um, thing. Like, heavy metal music, it's, there, it's no longer like this overnight sensation like we saw a lot of times in the 80s and 90s. Um, where you've got like these bands that get huge and it doesn't work like that because mainly number one a lot of the bands we're still supporting are the bands from our youth and the bands that are getting bigger now have put in like like the work you think of people like Napalm Death they've put in years and years and years of work on their band you think of like um 
I don't know, uh, Death Angel, not Death Angel, yeah, yeah, I Death Angel, and it's, it's like, so a lot of these newer metal bands, that's why you see, like, it takes a long time because you're still being obfuscated by these older bands that are still you know being supported like the cavaliers like we were like we we were, that was like your thing you're like oh man cavaliers yeah mm-hmm. so it's a it's a tough thing because you you don't want to not um support and you don't want to not go but it's it's hard to see that these younger bands are and these younger fans, you know, it's all still kind of being supported. Like you think of the big three and you think of like, you know, like still Metallica, Megadeth, Slayer, ACDC, Anthrax, all of them are still being supported by the fans. So anyway, that was just kind of like an interesting thing where they were saying these bands are older than most of their actual fans fans now. Mm-hmm. And it's not gonna. It's just gonna be like that until these bands kind of go away, and then then you have like another group of of bands that are older because they were coming up under these other bands, but they're older now too, and then their fans are gonna be even younger. But if you think about bands that were just coming alive around two thousand, so now they're twenty years older. So mm-hmm. it's like. I mean, I met John from Nomads when he was 19. That was like 1999 to 2000. So I'm like, he's older now. He's my age, yeah. Yeah, yeah. so So it's like... 41. Right, so, you know, it's... Time catches up with you. And he's just now kind of like in a band where they're firing their groove in terms of like popularity-wise. So, uh, and that's great because that's what you want. But like, it just shows you he's been working at this for years to try to get to this point it's not that easy many different bands different styles um he's worked on many different projects so anyway that has nothing to do with the evil dead or army of darkness but we just (laughs) just a rant time yeah it was just kind of like a little a little sharing sharing is caring type thing all right well we'll get into our last two blocks for the night and we're going to kick it off with child of caesar provided by dr music records
Alright. Thank you all for tuning in to this episode of the Hordes of Chaos. It's been a joy. Neko is out busy getting ready to make dinner. I'm going to help her in a minute. Gonna have some fish and some green beans that are spiced up nicely. She has a nice way of cooking up some green beans that taste fucking awesome. A little hotness. Uh, but yeah, thanks for tuning in, guys and gals. Uh, appreciate the support as always. Um, please spread the word about Metal Tavern Radio. Uh, we are looking to try to, at some point, monetize this in some way, at least either through the YouTube or. Even our podcast, like apparently, if we can get up to 200 episodes, like on a regular downloaded, uh, we can actually go and uh, be part of another podcast system, I guess, and get you know paid to do it. Like, I know we're not super professional or greatest compared to some of these other podcasters and YouTube people, but. Uh, it does mean a lot, and we're all doing it to support the metal scene and the underground rock and metal stuff. So, uh, it really, it just comes down to just spreading the word, man. If you think people will enjoy these podcasts that we do and the YouTube content, uh, just tell people. Like, if you have metal friends or rock friends, even the rock podcasts, which are not too much into the metal stuff, there's a few rock, rock podcasts that I've done within the last few months that uh, they might enjoy. Uh, and if not, if they do enjoy all of it, then great. You know, we, we continue to try to bring some interesting topics as well as uh, movie reviews and stuff that we're checking out. Um, as we mentioned earlier, we're going to go see uh, Jurassic Park Dominion tomorrow um, sometime. Of course, you all will hear this podcast after we've seen it. But uh, we will be putting a YouTube video, so be looking for that if you're just now hearing this. Uh, again, the support means so much and really, really appreciate it. This is kind of a, it's a hobby, obviously. Um, I never set out to charge people for anything. Obviously, I've created some stickers that people can have and stuff like that. And, but, you know, eventually, as far as, like, as I get closer to retirement, I know it sounds so bad, right? Uh, but if I, as soon as, as I get closer to that, uh, I'm looking for other kinds of income, even if it's not like a super lot. But if I can at least make money through this or through my uh, isopod and springtail mix, for those of you that uh, have spider hobbies or reptiles or whatever and you need like bioactive cleanup crews, it means a lot if you can help out in that way. So the support is very appreciated. Are you talking without me? Well, you were busy. I said you were getting ready to make dinner and everything, so I was just saying how great your green beans are. <laughs> oh, you're talking about my spicy green beans with garlic? Yeah. But, uh, you know, like I said, you know, as, as I get older, I'm uh, getting close to the end of the wire, so if I can at least try to make some income, just tell people about us, MetalTownRadio.com. Honestly, we're just looking to expand our listenership more than anything. Um... Because the more um, downloads that we get, the easier it is for us to get sponsors. Uh -huh. I've been talking about, to people about getting sponsors and having commercials and stuff. We're not going to charge for this, you know, but for us, like, just to get a little bit of help. We right, were... it's not going to be a charge to you all. It's just that if we can get enough of a, a core base of listeners and downloads, it helps us out. So, 
and honestly, the uh, the way that it's been working is you need to have like a certain amount, or they won't even like consider it. And we're we're getting closer. Like we've had some really big shows, and I look at our when we first started this uh, incarnation of uh, Hordes of Chaos, and look at from episode one to what we've grown to now. At uh, what episode are we on? 170, I believe. Yeah, so through 170 episodes weekly, we've been able to grow our listenership, but we really, like, I, I'm trying to figure out ways to, to help get the word out, possibly um, looking for some partnerships with other um, podcast networks and stuff to kind of get us out there, um, because eventually, you know, we really would like to do bigger things but we can't because everything that we do like we paid for the website we pay for our our bandwidth we pay for um all of our software ourselves so we can't that's also the other thing because like any kind of income i can get uh because like she just just mentioned software goes elite or uh out of date pretty fast so stuff like the broadcaster i use like even though i don't really need to update it at some point down the road it's probably going to be obsolete and then I'm going to have to take the money and go and get a whole new package with it which Sam's has always been pretty fair with like payment plans and stuff but I don't want to pay for it every year because really that's not necessary uh, because it still runs fine for what we're doing. Basically DJ Anubis works to pay for his car and pay for all of our uh, website and, yeah, and mail really, tavern stuff yeah. like everything else is and we want it to be so like he can just be dj anubis because if he can spend more time looking things not only that just uh like i said you know we've been giving out stickers and stuff but eventually we would love to do cups and shirts for people who want to support us in that way so those are just kind of things that like you know if you give us you know find a way to support us and tell people about us we can get to that point where we can start producing that kind of stuff and, uh, you know, you guys can buy that and share your love for Metal Tavern Radio. So thanks again for the support. Thank you very much for listening. Please, uh, we, we... Go on YouTube, hit the like buttons, check out the videos. We, we release our podcasts on Wednesday. Our, we're trying to start releasing our YouTubes on Thursday. It would be under um, DJ Anubis. And or- any guest shows we might show up on, we're supposed to be doing an interview next week, actually, with one of our YouTube personalities that we're friends with. So be looking for that because we're trying to get back into the swing of the interview stuff. So... Uh, yeah, we're going to try to be bringing more content for you all. And obviously the metal and the podcast will be coming out every week like we've been doing. But uh, appreciate the support. And we've got one last track from you uh, for you tonight. It's uh, classic material from Militaria called Huey. And you all take care of yourselves. Peace.